Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys here today. I hope you're ready to rock. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians chapter three. We are starting a new series today. We're gonna be in this series for the next four weeks all the way up to the election. And the name of the series is actually called We the People. And of course, I took that phrase from the U.S. Constitution. Uh, it's actually called the, the preamble of the Constitution. And, and uh, it's extremely important. Uh, we the people is one of the most profound statements uh, in the history of the world. And so I actually wanted to kind of take you back to fifth grade when you first read this. It's probably been a while since you've read it. We're going to actually start with the preamble of the Constitution. So as you're turning your Bibles, let's look at it together. It states this. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, future generations, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America, right? Good, 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 great stuff here. But what does we the people actually mean? Um, the Constitution, essentially what this means is that the Constitution is owned by the citizens of the United States. It's not owned by the government. So no matter who you identify with politically, no matter where you work or live or play, Americans are all a part of a democratic experience. And uh, it's the first of its kind. Uh, you've got to understand this. Like we live in a democracy, right? So that means that we're governed by the people. So we, the people, have the authority to actually choose our government. The people get to vote and decide who's going to govern them, who's going to represent us. And, and entail the theory is that they will represent the will of the people. Now, when this was established, when it was written, it was a completely radical concept and idea. Um, and, and, and think about it. At that time, the world had only known kings and queens and war. And whatever the king said was law. And he might change his mind next week, but for today, this is law. And if you disobey or you break that law, you can be killed. You can be thrown in jail. You had no uh, right to your opinion. You had no freedom of speech. You had no right to practice your religion. You had no right to bear arms. You had no right to vote. The color of your skin always mattered. And in fact, who your parents were always mattered. Right? This was not a healthy government. It was not freedom. And so what I think in America we're starting to experience is, and, and hopefully beginning even to realize is that we're taking a lot of our freedoms for granted today. One of our founding uh, fathers, James Madison, got it right, I think, when he once said this. He said, knowledge will forever govern ignorance. And a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power which knowledge gives. And so we the people means that it's the people's responsibility as citizens of the United States. It's our responsibility to be engaged in the learning about and in the living out and in the protecting of the rights that have been given to us in the U.S. Constitution. 
So that makes you and I stewards of the Constitution, and we're responsible to actually ensure that future generations are able to enjoy the same freedoms that we experience today. Now, obviously, newsflash, everybody knows this, there is a real battle in America today. There are people who do want to take a right away many of our rights and many of our liberties that we see so clearly in the Constitution. And so it's our job that we arm ourselves with the power of knowledge and the power of understanding to protect those rights. No, the Constitution is not perfect. Um, It is not the inspired Constitution of God, right? It's not equated to the Word of God, but it is one of the most powerful documents the world has ever seen. It needed amendments. It might need some amendments in the future, but whatever those amendments are, it must not infringe upon the freedoms that already exist. So in this series, we're gonna talk about how the people of God engage the politics of America. So I know essentially uh, what this means for us. You've got people that would say, just shut up, Trent. You're not supposed to talk about politics, right? Uh, Churches aren't supposed to talk about these issues. And so to that, I would say, am I just supposed to like not teach certain sections of the Bible? Um, Am I not to uh, preach on Romans 13 or 1 Peter chapter 2 or uh, what we're going to look at today, Philippians 3? Am I just supposed to skip those things? Well, I think not. I think my job, I think your expectation, rightly so, is that I would preach all of the scripture, not be afraid to talk about uh, various portions of scripture. And if they happen to intersect with issues in our culture that are hot topics or issues that are largely debated, uh, matters not. We wanna hear and see and know what does the word of God actually say. So we're gonna pray together. We're gonna seek the face of God together. Um, We wanna be good stewards of the amazing gift of freedom. And we believe obviously that God has given this country that freedom. And when we go vote this this November, we wanna walk into that booth and we don't wanna vote just our opinion. We wanna vote from a biblical worldview. We want the Bible to inform us and show us the way in which we should actually vote and live our lives and what policy matters to us and and what issues are important. And the scripture largely tells us how to actually handle and deal and and, and, and what to believe and what is right and good and moral and healthy, not just for me personally, but for our entire country. So in the series, we're gonna look at what the biblical, biblical role of government actually is. We're gonna look at what freedom of speech and freedom of religion looks like. We're gonna talk about what does the separation of church and state mean for us. Uh, We're gonna ask the question, should government regulate marriage and sexuality? Should government uh, protect all lives? Uh, We're gonna look at that. We're gonna ask the question, can we trust God no matter who wins the election? Uh, No matter who's uh, in in the Oval Office, no matter who is in the Senate, can we trust God? Um, I'm excited about the series. I hope you are uh, as well. Today, the question is gonna be this. What is the role of Christian citizens in America? Now, this is a big question. Honestly, it could be a three to 500 page 
novel, right? To teach us how to actually answer this question. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay high level. We're gonna look at Philippians 3. We're gonna get some, hopefully some encouragement and some direction today. But when we look at the concept and the preamble of, of we, the people, we understand uh, and need to understand something as God's people. Because uh, oftentimes we're gonna read the Old Testament and we're gonna see the nation of Israel and uh, them being equated to the people of God. But when we read the Constitution, the we the people does not mean we the people of God, right? We don't wanna get those things confused. Uh, we, we read the nation of Israel being uh, the, the people of God, but they were not a nation like we define nations today. Uh, Israel wasn't a democracy, it was a theocracy. And a theocracy means a government where it is ruled by God. And so uh, much different, right? And so you, you fast forward to uh, Jesus, the birth of Jesus, uh, and God makes a new covenant um, with the people of God. He fulfills the old covenant that he had made with Israel. And so when Jesus was uh, crucified, when he was resurrected, a new era began. A new covenant was created between God and his people. No longer did it matter what nation you were a part of or what tribe or language you spoke. Uh, the only thing that mattered and, and what makes us sons and daughters of God is faith in Jesus alone. Now, sometimes Christians uh, view uh, Americans as this group of God's people, uh, just like Israel. And sometimes they think that, that uh, almost as if God has made a new covenant with Americans. And so let's just be real clear. That is not the case, right? God has done some great things in our nation, but he has not made a covenant with Americans to do X, Y, or Z. Um, we the people essentially means we the people of the United States of America. So if you're a US citizen, congratulations. We live in the greatest country in the world. However, we are also Christians. And the Bible clearly says that we are citizens of heaven as well. And sometimes the challenge for Christians is that we focus too heavily on our American citizenship to the neglect of our role, uh, our role that God tells us that we are to be a part of and informed of and be you know, actively engaged in as a citizen of heaven. And so we might spend a majority of our energy, a majority of our podcasting and our radio listening and our reading and our conversations towards what it means to be a, citizens, uh, a citizen of America instead of using that time, energy, focus, to learn more about and dive deeper into what it means to be a citizen of heaven. So I, I wanna make sure everyone understand, uh, understands this, that as Christians, the role, the call, the priority, the focus has got to be first and foremost, our role as citizens of heaven. And secondly, we look at, okay, we're also citizens in America, but our focus and our priority must always be our citizenship in heaven. Um, I think it's important because we don't want our political views to supersede our biblical truth, right? And so we want, we, we want our po uh, political views essentially to be shaped by biblical truth, by God's truth, and, 
And essentially that's why I think this series is important because there's, a, uh, there's probably some people in the room who hold a political view that is anti-gospel. You might hold a, a political view that goes directly against the word of God. And so we wanna identify what those things are and you can get mad at me through this series or you know, uh, cheer me on or, or criticize me, whatever you wanna do. My goal, my hope is that these opinions that we form are biblically based. And so always, always, when the Bible is clear, when the Bible is direct, when it's decisive, we stand with God's word, 100%. Now there are other issues that aren't so clear and decisive. And so in that setting, now we have to go to the word of God and, 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 and we have to use broader biblical principles we have to use wisdom and those uh, principles and that wisdom inform our decisions. An example might be caring for the poor and the marginalized. The Bible specifically says we are to care for the poor and the marginalized. How do we do that? What is the best way to do that? Well, you can't look up Philippians chapter one, verse one to see how to do that. You actually have to use broader principles all throughout the Bible that gives us a, a better understanding just as an example. So today we wanna to focus on the question, what's the role of Christian citizens in America? And so to do that, let's look at Philippians three. We're gonna start in verse 18, leave your Bible open. We're gonna cover the next several verses. Here's what he says. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. You might circle that phrase, enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, there are many enemies of the cross of Christ today in America and more and more people are gonna be enemies as time proceeds. They don't want Jesus in politics. Uh, they don't want the Bible infused in, the, in, in, in culture and in the political realm. They don't want righteousness. The fact is there are less and less Christians in America today than there were 10 years ago than there were 20 years ago. There are fewer churches today than there were five years ago. In fact, churches are closing their doors every single month all over the country. And COVID has only kind of microwaved that uh, tragedy. We're seeing fewer and fewer Christians. We're seeing fewer and fewer churches. And of the churches that do exist, we see fewer and fewer actually being healthy. So many walk as enemies of the cross. In Al Mohler's book, The Gathering Storm, he says this. He says, the storm of secularism has hit America, but the problem is that most don't notice the change in weather. It's a great book, highly recommend it. But what he means is sometimes storms approach slowly. You know, some clouds start to form, you know, it gets a little grayer. The meteorologist knows what's going on. He's looking at the radar, He's measuring the, you know, the atmospheric pressure. He probably saw the storm out in the Atlantic Ocean, you know, and so he, he starts to warn, she starts to warn us about the storm that is to come. They might see it coming, but oftentimes it sneaks up on us. We're not paying attention to all the signs that are around us, right? So in the book, he's saying that as Christians, we've got to look up and see that the storm is not coming. The storm is already here. And it's happening right before our eyes. It's not something that just our kids are gonna have to deal with. It's something that you and I have to deal with 
today. Uh, our country is becoming more and more secularized. Uh, so uh, secularism just refers to the absence of God. And so here's a good definition so that you might uh, write this down. But secular, uh, secularization means the process whereby societies become less and less Christian, right? And it's been happening for decades in America. And what we're facing today is a result of that secularization that began decades ago, right? We're experiencing uh, much of that. And so some examples of that uh, might be when they wanna take you know, a, a Ten Commandments uh, picture or statue out of a uh, um, public setting or out of a public office, public place. Uh, it's the removal of God from uh, schools. It's the removal of you know, prayer. It's the removal of even, even talking about uh, a, a faith that might be important to you. Uh, for instance, a high school valedictorian in Las Vegas was recently told that she was uh, to remove all references to Jesus in her speech. Uh, she refused and chose to talk about Jesus anyway, but during her speech, the principal of the high school cut the sound off. Now, folks, according to our Constitution, that is illegal. You have a freedom of speech, you have a freedom in the very words of our constitution to practice that religion. And so now we're seeing even our government telling churches because of COVID, you are not allowed to meet. Several churches deciding to meet uh, regardless and now legal disputes, especially in California, I'm sure you've read about them, are very highly debated. We see all of this silencing of Christians while you, know, you see all of these who we would see doing uh, very clearly criminal acts being praised in our culture. Charles Taylor wrote the book, A Secular Age, also recommend that. And in it, he clarifies what secularization is actually um, doing in our, in, in our nation. He, he kind of dives in a little bit deeper. I think it's uh, really important. He says this secularization is about, is about rejecting a belief in a personal God, a personal God who has authority over life. He has authority to say, this is right and this is wrong. And essentially that's what secularism in America is all about. Because you can talk about spirituality and God, you can talk about faith and, 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 and nobody's going to like, you know, condemn you. But the moment you start saying things that clearly identify this God as a personal God, that's when everybody wants to cancel you. So examples, you, you, you've probably heard Nancy Pelosi talk about how the, uh, the fires in California are, are a result of Mother Earth being angry at us on how we're treating the planet, right? She can reference a pagan God and nobody gives her any backlash. Chuck Schumer can say that, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is rolling over in heaven upset today because Trump is appointing um, a, a new Supreme Court justice. He can reference heaven and, and that's okay in that setting, but, but what's not okay is to su suggest that this God who controls nature and reigns in heaven actually has authority to reign over your life as well. That's where we draw the line in America, right? Um, we hear people say, well, Trent, the reality is there's separation of church and state and that's in there. And so you can't, you know, that's why schools and, and monuments, that, that's why all this happens. And uh, I, 
I can't wait to talk next Sunday about how that's a load of crap, okay? That's gonna be great. <laughs> we wanna, we gotta understand what that actually means um, in the Constitution. So more people are gonna walk as enemies of the cross, right? So we see that, can't wait uh, for, for next week, but we've seen that. Now, what happens uh, to these folks that are walking uh, as enemies of the cross? There, there's a description that he he, he begins here in verse nine, he describes them. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, right? So the first sentence here or, or first phrase, their end is destruction. And so they will suffer the consequences of their actions. Right? And, and destruction doesn't just simply mean that they're gonna be defeated. No, destruction here means that they will be condemned to hell for their rejection of Jesus. Their end is final destruction, okay? And then he talks about what drives them. And what drives them, he says, is, is their God is their belly. And so what he means by this is that they, they are um, essentially making their appetite their God. So they live for what tastes good to them. They live for their cravings. They live for what sounds good to them. They act out of feelings. They act out of desires. And when your God is your appetite, you, you act out of emotion and not on spiritual maturity. You act out of feeling instead of facts. So when I'm hungry, oftentimes I'll crave a steak. Uh, happens to me regularly, about once a week. Um, and so when I want a steak, I want a steak, right? Wife starts talking about, what about a salad? No, I don't want no salad. I don't want, I don't want gluten-free. I don't want green, I, I want steak, right? And so I start thinking about my favorite restaurant that has a steak. I start thinking about how I can grill a pretty mean steak. And so I start thinking about that. I want steak, I'm thinking about steak. I don't want anything else. You can talk big game about gluten and fat and whatever, but I, I, I want steak, right? That's what cravings do. That's how cravings affect us. When you have an appetite for something, it's all you wanna hear about. When you have an appetite about something, it's all you wanna think about. You become absorbed and you become driven by the thing that you desire. And anything that helps feed that craving, you and I consume. And anything that doesn't fit that appetite, we reject. So think about how this plays out. It plays out based on the podcast that you listen to and don't listen to. It plays out in the news stations that you listen to and don't listen to. Why? There are certain podcasts and news stations that feed our appetite for what we want more of, what we desire more of, right? Um, another example might be if you think that all police officers are racist, that narrative or, or that appetite is so strong that sometimes we can't think through a biblical perspective. Another example, if you think that Trump is um, this perfect angel and anytime somebody says something negative about him, it's because you know the media lies all the time and it's fake news, then guess what? You're not gonna be mature enough to step back and say and admit, the dude says some things that just aren't very right sometimes or righteous or helpful, right? And so 
no matter what side we fall on, like, like, let's know this, as citizens of heaven, there is no political party that we fit into. There, there's no political party that is gonna save us. There's no political party that's going to meet all the needs that you and I think we have as believers. And so we, we wanna know this, and I wanna caution you, be aware of your political appetites. The first step is always acknowledging, right? Being aware of what my appetite is. And we can get so dialed in on feeding and eating this narrative or this narrative or that, that whatever political uh, uh, um, you know, talking point is. And we miss opportunities to bless and help people. We miss opportunities to grow personally. We miss opportunities to be sensitive to the needs around us. We miss opportunities to help move our nation and country in a healthy spiritual vein. He says in verse 19 in the next section, their glory is their shame. Their glory is their shame. So to glory something means that you make much of it. To glory something means that you elevate it and you make it a priority and you make it the ultimate thing. And so they glory in what they should be ashamed of. And so you see the LGBT community glory in their sexuality. They lift it up and make it the ultimate thing, right? If you've been married for longer than 10 years, you know sex isn't the, the, the most important thing, right? Less and less as the years go on, right? We see this in Planned Parenthood. They glory in the amount of abortions they perform. They lift it up. They celebrate it. He says, they set their minds on earthly things. And so enemies of the cross, they will set their minds on earthly things, earthly solutions, earthly finances, earthly kings and senators and presidents, earthly solution. These are characteristics of those who walk as enemies of the cross. So the more fearful we become, the more we, I think it's just human nature, the more we look to earthly solutions. The more fearful we become, the, the, the quicker we go to an earthly solution. Pay for this, give a raise, fix this, new leader, fire him, hire her, get a president, get a senator. We need this, right? We go to earthly solutions. But when we think about the enemy's role in the world, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? How does he steal, kill, and destroy? Fear. It's one of the number one tools that the enemy uses in our country that you, he uses in your personal life. He wants you to be afraid of something because when you're afraid of something, then he can steal, then he can destroy, then he can kill. And so what we're facing in America is a spiritual problem. In fact, every problem that you face today is a spiritual problem. And spiritual issues cannot be resolved with earthly solutions. Spiritual issues can only be resolved with spiritual, with a spiritual king and his spiritual kingdom. So there are enemies of the cross. There are enemies of the cross. But hear me today, they are not our enemies. They are our mission field. 
So sometimes our anger and our frustration with another side leads them to think that they're our enemies. But as the church, we see that, no, 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 we've got to share our life with them, share new truth with them. We want the, the gospel to penetrate their heart and mind, not to come over to a new political side, but to see the truth of scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to change their life and bring them health and bring them hope, right? And the gospel is the only thing that can do that, right? So what's he say next? Verse 20, he makes it clear here. But our citizenship is in heaven. And then he says, and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. So folks, the hope of the world right now is in the reality that the citizens of heaven would commit and follow and serve Jesus as deeply and as passionately as we possibly can to save the racial issues in our country, the, the, the hope of uh, defeating and overcoming racism is the fact that the church would speak truth and share love. The fact that the, the church would care about the poor and the marginalized, that, that yes, that we would care about the unborn, that, that yes, we would care about marriage and, and we would care about families and, and we would care about people. This is the hope of the world. So now not only is it a stewardship, but it's a responsibility that you and I who know and experienced the hope of the gospel in and through Jesus would do something positive, encouraging, that would bring about helpful change. Why? Because we are citizens of heaven. Now, many of our founding fathers understood this, not all, many. One of them was named Daniel Webster. He was a secretary of state uh, in the early uh, foundation. And he once wrote this. He said, the Christian religion, its general principles must ever be regarded among us as the foundation of society. Whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens, right? The more you and I can become better citizens of heaven, the better citizens of the United States of America we become. So the first question I wanna ask, I've actually asked a lot of questions today. The next one I wanna ask is, are you a citizen of heaven? Are you a citizen of heaven? We, we don't wanna blow by that. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you believed in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus and have you committed your life to him? Have you given him the authority of your life? Have you said what you want is important, what, what, what you tell me is important, I think is important. What you want me to do, I will do. What you tell me I need to believe, I wanna believe. If we haven't made that adjustment, then no matter what I teach through this series is gonna make a lot of sense. It's not gonna bring uh, much hope. Have we surrendered to Jesus? Because if you, if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, you won't surrender to the word of God. And that's the process that we first have to take. So, so kingdom citizens, right? So he's saying here, as a, a citizen of heaven, he says, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So let's get practical here. Let me give you two ways uh, that citizens of heaven should believe, act as um, citizens in the United States of America. And the first thing that we're seeing here is that we're awaiting a savior. He's gonna give us a glorified body. So I would say citizens of heaven are homesick for their future home. They're homesick for their future home. We are awaiting the return of Jesus. We are awaiting that day that we get to live in heaven. And there's this, this homesickness because we know we're not home right now. You remember when you were a kid and you went to basketball camp or whatever camp and night one was exciting, but then you went to bed and it got quiet and dark. And, and what happened? Some, some of us started to get a little homesick, right? We started getting homesick, wanna, want mom, want mom's food. <laughs> want mom tuck us in, not really dad so much, but mom, you know, that's kind of, let's just be honest, no. We get homesick when we're kids uh, oftentimes, don't we? And so when that happens, we want and we long to go home. And as kingdom citizens, we realize that this American you know, experience is not our home. It's not our ultimate home. That's why the Bible calls us aliens. That's why the Bible calls us sojourners. That, that simply means a, a traveler uh, who is here for a temporary time. Um, we, so, so, so we long for our future home with Jesus. We long to be re, reunited with those who have died before us. We long to be in the presence of our Savior, where he will wipe every tear away, where there will no longer be any bad marriages and there won't be any financial problems and there won't be any racism and there won't be any cancer. Uh, there won't be any political battles. It will be paradise. And to that home, we set our, our, our attention and our eyes and we long for that day. And the tragedy, I think, is when Americans are so comfortable with their life today that they've never really longed for the country to come. And if I were God and my people were living that way, what would you do? Little unrest, little reminder, little chaos, little pandemic, something to say, hey, yo, you're not home. You're focused too much on what you're doing. You're focused too much on your kingdom and your priorities and your bank account and your children and college and weddings and social media and promoting you that you've forgotten that this isn't home. And you get one chance. I get one chance at this to do it right, to live for him. And how we live today impacts our responsibilities in heaven. You realize that? How you live today. You're, you're faithful with a little. He rewards us with much. Yes, here in life, but also in the life to come. We're homesick for heaven. But secondly, uh, I wanna go to Jeremiah 29 for this next point. Jeremiah 29, seven says, but seek the welfare of the city, the country, where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. <laughs> so as, as kingdom citizens here, 
he, he's saying, I want you to seek the welfare of where you actually live. And, and when that country does well, prospers, is healthy, you're gonna find your, your, your welfare. You're gonna find your health. And, and we remember that Jeremiah is writing to a group of people who are actually under the judgment of God. They've lost their freedom. They've lost their influence in the country. They're actually slaves in this country. They are a minority. And in this country, it's, they're surrounded by enemies of God. And God tells them through the prophet Jeremiah to actually seek their welfare. He tells them to actually pray for them. Think about it. I want you to seek the welfare and pray for and encourage those who are enslaving you. That would have been a tough line to hear from Jeremiah that day, (laughs) would it not? Are you kidding me, man? God says, pray for your leaders. Seek the health of the nation that you live in, the health of the country. And God says, as the country finds health, you will find your health. You will find your welfare as well. So what does this mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but quickly, let me sum it up. It means that we ought to pray for our government leaders. It means that we ought to pray for those who protect us. It means, especially for President Trump now with COVID, we, we pray for him. It means that we pray for Nancy Pelosi. We pray for all of these leaders in our government. We pray that religious freedom is upheld. We actually pray uh, that uh, the sanctity of life is promoted in our country. We pray that righteous, good laws are passed. We pray that racism ends. We pray no more black lives are lost. We pray that no more violence takes place. So we pray that our country honors the biblical concept of marriage so that Children grow up with mom and dad, influencing them to serve, to be good citizens of the United States and of heaven. We seek the welfare of our country. We pray for it. We serve it. We care for our community. We take the gospel to it. And as we do, health is created. Ministries are formed and lives are changed. So in this election, we get an opportunity to specifically, practically seek the welfare of our country by voting for some of our government officials who we hope and pray will also seek the welfare and and the health of our country. So I would wholeheartedly see and encourage you that voting is actually a matter of stewardship. Voting is something that I believe every Christian has the responsibility to, one, inform themselves of and vote for a candidate that most closely upholds biblical values and whose track record shows that they're a man, they're a woman of action, that they put policies and laws in place that uphold the constitution and maintain the freedoms that you and I currently get to experience and enjoy. Uh, It's reported that half of Americans do not vote Uh, You might not vote because you think, well, it's a lot of work to fill out the form (laughs) or it's a lot of work to go stand in line on November 3rd. Some don't vote because they don't know much about the candidates. Uh, Some may vote because, you know, one vote's not gonna make a difference, is it? Some may not vote because, well, I don't like either candidate, so I'm just not going to vote. So so I ask the question here, uh, is it right 
to simply, as a Christian, enjoy all these amazing rights and freedoms that so many of uh, our ancestors have actually fought and died to protect so that you and I can just simply squander that freedom because we're too lazy or we're too self-righteous. And I say ancestors, that doesn't mean years ago. That could have meant your father. That could mean your uncle. You might've lost a son or a daughter in the fight for freedom. Hmm. You've been given one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest human rights gifts in the history of the world. You're a citizen of a free country, right? And with that gift comes a responsibility. And that responsibility is to, to the best of your ability, uphold the freedoms that we enjoy today, not just for yourself, but for future generations. And so practically speaking now, I don't have a, let me preface what I'm about to say. I don't have a chapter and a verse for this one, right? So you can disagree with me. I give you, I give you permission to disagree with me. Just don't cancel me, right? But practically speaking in our process, we have a two-party system, right? Two parties, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, and currently, either Republican or Democrat is actually going to win the election. And when you go vote, you're gonna see other names on the ballot. There's even a blank line that you can write in somebody. Heck, you can vote for me if you want to. Uh, that's your right to, to, to actually do that. But let's just be real today. There is zero chance that any of those third-party candidates are going to win. Zero chance. Right? Um, so is it okay to support a third party candidate? Should you write in? Should you vote? Because morally, I don't know about these two guys and I'm, I'm thinking about just putting this name down or checking that box. And I would say, I think it's, it is a good thing to support a third party candidate, but timing is everything. So let me explain. First of all, the benefit of, of these third party candidates is that we are kind of tied to a two party system. So it'd be nice if we had more choices. And so if there was a third party guy or girl that, that came up and shared some, uh, some um, biblical views and, and was a great leader and, and morally was great. And, and we just thought they would make fantastic you know, uh, leaders. Um, and so, so the, the issue though is the platform just isn't big enough or strong enough. And so they just kind of flail out, not enough support. But if in that that midterm or you know, the, 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 that season before the election happens, if you're supporting them, if you're volunteering, if you're giving money and, and raising that support, then what happens is the, the, the two parties take notice. They take notice and they say, wow, this, this girl, this man, he, he's got a lot of you know, support and largely because of this issue. And so what do they do? That's my issue. Why? They want those votes, right? And so it happens in a negative way. I think it's happened, you know, uh, in the last couple of years in a negative way, but it could also happen in a positive way. And so yes, support third-party candidates if you find a good one, if you choose and, and feel convicted that that uh, should in fact happen. So there are great benefits uh, that could happen. So I think we should, um, but I think the time to vote for them and the time to support them is in primary races and, and way before a November 3rd presidential election. So hear me. I think the vote has already been made for those guys. They didn't win, right? They didn't make the cut. And so if you vote for someone who didn't make the cut, in my opinion, 
you're wasting that vote. They don't have a chance to win. In fact, they already lost. The time to support that person was way before November 3rd. And if you wanna support a new person, start on November 4th and get ready for four, you know, in, in, in four years for the next election. So let's think about this. Everyone's gotta vote their conscience, right? I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for, but my personal belief is that if you aren't, if you aren't taking, you are not taking a moral high ground if you walk into that booth and vote for someone who has no chance of winning. Because the question is, what is the best way for me to seek the welfare of my country? Is it to cast a vote on someone that's not gonna win? Or is it to cast a vote for, towards someone that actually has a chance to win, right? And so the, 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 the time to support those people is coming to an end. And the choice has to be made by you and I today. Will we waste a vote or will we vote for a candidate that most closely represents your belief? Now listen, when we cast a vote, we aren't giving our life to this person. We're not saying, hi, oh, 100% like dedicate allegiance to this. No, you're not gonna agree with everything somebody believes ever. It's not a thing. Jesus is not running for president. He's not going to. So we have a choice. It's between two people and every single one of us have a moral responsibility as Christians to choose one of them. And so who's that gonna be for you? Um, I don't have to love everything about a particular candidate. I don't even have to like everything about them, but I will choose to vote for the person who most closely follows a, uh, the moral issues that are consistent with the Bible. And I'm voting for a person who I might think defend the constitution. And so I would encourage you to reflect and do the same. So now what? Let me give you three practical things that I wanna do during this series. Well, that was point number two. I didn't touch the screen, but I said it many times. <clears throat> now what? So here we go. Number one, register to vote and commit to vote this year. Register to vote. In fact, if you haven't, you have one more day to do it. And so in the atrium, we've got uh, iPad set up, you can go out there and register today. You can actually register on your phone right now if you scan the seat in front of you, that little QR code. Um, register and then commit to actually go and vote and then educate yourself. So it's on us to educate ourselves all the issues and what's going on, right? It's not, it's, it, it's not healthy to stick your head in the sand and just avoid all this stuff. This is reality for us. So I side with com is a great website. You can see what candidates believe. You can each actually do a survey and you fill out all the things and then it tells you, you know, the type of candidate that, that you most closely align with, good site. And then also you can go to our voting guide, which was essentially a, a magazine written by the Billy Graham Association. It's on our website. Uh, go to uh, the We The People sermon page. You can download that guide, a lot of, or that guide a lot of great resources um, in that. And then thirdly, I wanna encourage you to join us for 21 days of prayer. I do think it is so valuable and important that as a church, we are praying together about specific issues. And so as a church, next Sunday, 21 days of prayer, leads up right to the election. We're gonna pray for our country. The guide's gonna be online. It'll also be in the app. So you might want to uh, download the app to get some notifications and help us pray together as a church. Ultimately, my hope is not in this election. My hope is not in a political party or any one person. My hope, and I know your hope, is in Jesus. 
And as we seek him as a church, as we rally around his word, he's gonna give us the strength and the direction to lead like he wants us to lead. Maybe you're not old enough to vote. Maybe, you know, some, some younger folks in the crowd. So, so maybe for you, I would encourage and challenge you to start praying about, maybe you should become a lawyer. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had some lawyers come out of our uh, community that would stand for the constitution and biblical morals and values that are fighting in the law system? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if some of, some of our kids would grow up and be politicians, right? And, 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 and actually, you know, fight that fight on a political level. Maybe God would speak to some kids in the room today and inspire them. Whatever it is, our hope is in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Lord, complicated issues, a lot of things going on in our country. Always has a tendency to divide us when we talk about these things. And so God, I I do pray for unity through this. Uh, Unity that we would seek you. And uh, God, that we would be we, we would have a heart for you and uh, not just necessarily to prove a point. And uh, God, I pray for our nation, for our country, pray for our president. I pray that you would heal him. I pray, God, that you would use this community to impact and make change in this city, in this country. I pray that there are some young doctors and lawyers and politicians in this room who'd be willing to fight that fight and, and stand up and, and lead our country and, and uh, our, our cities in that way. God, I pray that, that you would give us um, this hope that just resonates in our heart that no matter how crazy things feel in our country right now and no matter how crazy 2020 has been, you are sitting on your throne and you have a purpose and a plan for all of this. And I know our church, God, we don't wanna miss it. We need our eyes on you. We need our hope in you. So it's to that end that we sing this prayer to you today as we close. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text SC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.